Histology Abroad, NSHS chats with members from around the world in countries right next door and those halfway across the globe. We ask them how they got into histology, the challenges and opportunities they see, and how COVID-19 has impacted them. While there are many differences, the commonalities will surprise you. Okay, I'm here with Luke Nellemans, and he's going to talk a little bit about his experiences in the Netherlands and across Europe. So Luke, could you want to get started by telling us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, tell us who you are, where you're from, and what it is that you do within histology? Hello, welcome. I'm uh, Luke Nelemans. I live in the Netherlands. I started to work uh, my professional career at the Erasmus uh, MC University in Rotterdam, one of the largest hospitals in the Netherlands. I worked there for about 15 years, started as a um, as a histotech, but later grew in my position to leading leading technician. After that, I left. I went to um, to Sakura, uh, Sakura Fintech Europe. I'm working there as a senior application specialist responsible for support in what we call EMEA-E, which means Europe with Russia, Middle East, Africa, and India. But through my experience, I have also seen laboratories in the US and Australia. So yeah, that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm married and I have one daughter of seven years old. Great. So how did you decide to get into histology? Since very young, I have been interested in medicine, uh, laboratory science, chemistry. And due to a congenital heart condition, uh, ventricle septum defect, I was exposed to many hospital visits from very young on uh, until a operation at uh, 15 years old. And yeah, when I was lying there in the hospital, I knew I wanted to work in a hospital at least or um, at least it's something with laboratory science, and that's how I came to pathology in the end. Wow, that's so inspiring. So I'd like to talk a little bit about the Netherlands in general and the process for becoming a histotechnologist in the Netherlands. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the route to, to become a histotechnologist in the Netherlands, uh, let me first say that the schooling system differs a little bit from the U.S. I have an, an American colleague. Uh, he works in Europe now uh, nowadays. Um, so I kind of um, touch boundaries with him. So what we have is till the age of 12, we go to a kind of elementary school. Then till 17, 18, differs a little bit you go to high school and then you go to a college which is more for the profession of choice and uh, of education so then you're really focused on the profession you would like to do um, so I started to follow a laboratory education which made me a bachelor of science which was divided at that time in chemistry or medical and a medical di- group or direction was divided into biochemistry microbiology and histocytopathology more recent, a more general biomedical science program is offered, um, which means it's a four-year program, including an internship of at least one year. And I obviously, at my time, followed the histocytopathology route before I went to work in a hospital. I feel like that's pretty common from what I've heard with other people that I've spoken to in Europe is that they have a general biomedical science program. And then within that, you can decide to specialize. Yeah, correct. Um, so how is certification? Are you required to be certified? What is the certifying body? In, in the school system in the Netherlands, it provides you with a diploma at the end. Um, and that certifies you of being able to work in your subject of study. In my case, the full cytohistopathology as Bachelor of Science. There is no 
merit system, not, not that you need to, to pick up points during the year or during a couple of years like you have in, 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 uh, in the US. We are certified the moment we leave school. And then, yeah, obviously you need to work for, because it's all based on experience. So uh, a lot of times they will ask you how much experience did you have? Where did you work? Stuff like that. Gotcha. So there's, you have to go through a program in order to become a histologist. Like in the United States, there's a route where you can be on the job trained and get certified. Yeah. What, what you sometimes see now in, in laboratories that they, what we call, they pick somebody from the street and they will teach them one task. So this person is might be sometimes called a water spider or a lab assistant. So they are making sure that supplies are everywhere, but they will also during that time, gain simple knowledge, maybe uh, do a little bit of putting the racks into, a, into an instrument for staining or uh, making sure that the uh, uh, a conventional processor is ended at the end of the day and, and cleaned up. So they get these easy tasks in the beginning and then later they grew. But to be able to work as a histotechnologist, they still need to do a program. Um, so there is also a uh, offline uh, in the night program, but that's going to take you five or six years at least. Oh, wow. So in your position as the application specialist, you've had the opportunity to work with labs across Europe, Middle East, Africa, India. So I also would like to talk a little bit about the differences that you've personally seen in histology labs between various locations. Yeah. Let me first say that everywhere we are doing the same. We are getting tissue specimens in and we are creating, in the end, uh, slides for a pathologist. The routing to get there might be different in, in some areas by means of different reagents, different equipments, maybe some more hands-on jobs instead of automated systems. Depends a little bit on, on the region and the funding they have. And You can imagine in, in Africa, India, and sometimes... They have less money, so they have not the most fancy equipment. On the other hand, those people then a lot of time knows what happens exactly because they need to do it by hand. So they knew exactly which step they are taking, what they are doing. Um, so those are the major differences, I would say. And then there is a big difference in scaling of laboratories. So what I mean with that is like in Europe, average labs are between six, 700 blocks on a daily base. I visited Australia, for instance. Those labs were all doing 1,500 to 2,000 blocks on a daily basis. So that's more the scaling of the labs, which is then different. Although in Europe, we now see that we are having more and more mergers of smaller hospitals, the three, two, three, 400 block size laboratories. Well, maybe um, in the end, we will have those 15 to 2,000 size blocks labs in Europe as well, but not at this moment. Is that an issue of efficiency that they they want to merge and be able to decrease turnaround time and yeah, sometimes it's a, it's a matter of efficiency. It also depends a little bit on the countries. Some countries in Europe, the hospitals are more government funded. So the laboratories in there are government funded. And so they are more like from the healthcare system point of view paid out. In other countries, you have more the uh, what we call maybe commercial labs. Um, so they offer their, their functionality to anyone who wants to make use of that. Those are often smaller, and yes, they are looking for for increase of efficiency and effective effectivity um, and cost funding. Yeah, that's true. Gotcha. So my next question, you mentioned automation. I was going to ask you to work specifically with equipment. 
Are you seeing more automation across the board in laboratories you've been to? Are there differences in automation of equipment? That's, that's a very good question you ask. Um, I think in Europe, automation is really uh, number one. Automate, automation on instruments like automated embedding is yeah, almost seen as a regular equipment in laboratories nowadays. I think there are more than 200 of those instruments installed across Europe. And that's a difference what I'm at least seeing towards maybe US, Africa, India. Automation is, is accepted in Europe completely and everybody is moving into that direction. So everybody really looks like, how can I automate steps within the laboratory? And it started with, with embedding. They are also looking like the short turnaround time programs in processing, the, the one or two hour programs with microwave processing. That is really accepted to decrease the turnaround time in the, in the labs. Why would you say that Europe is more on board with automation and America has not completely adopted yet? That is something that, that at least I have seen, uh, but also what you can, um, if I go on to like professionals pages if you see the comments for people in europe it's more common to work with the instruments and i sometimes see questions from american colleagues canadian colleagues that i go like hmm, this is for us quite of hey normal natural um, and it seems like an obstacle uh, for some people in 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 the us i think and if i talk obviously i i work for sakura i talk with my colleagues from the us if you look at the installed base of those instruments, I would expect it to be far larger in the US than in Europe. Um, if you look at the amount of laboratories across, um, across the US, you would have a high potential on, on automating uh, the labs, I think. Has the switch to automation changed anything about the training that histologists have to go through in Europe? Are they more now trained to be able to operate equipment and troubleshoot equipment? than the actual staining procedures? The schooling system, they offer the, the, same, the same education, but there is a, a slight, or a slight, there is a decrease in knowledge, I would say, but maybe for, for uh, another question. But yeah, people are more becoming like an operator instead of having to know the exact knowledge. So it's more putting something on an instrument maybe, on the other hand, you still need to know what is happening inside that machine. So I think it's really important that you always keep up to date with your knowledge and, and that you gain knowledge as much as possible by talking to, to colleagues, to, to peers, to yeah, uh, try to gain as much knowledge as possible, always. And that's part of your job is providing training for the equipment, correct? Yeah, that, that's one of my jobs. I support the, uh, the, the field. In Europe, we have in every country a dedicated application specialist, so they are more in direct contact with their customers. But if needed, I'll travel out. I fly out through the entire field and I, we do the installation and we do a training on the equipment so that the knowledge is transferred to the end user. And if the customer after a week, you know, they can tell you everything, but in a week you forget maybe maybe 50% of what they try to train you. So we leave documentation, we leave maybe videos and stuff like that. But then still, if there is a need for additional support, they can always contact us via email or uh, phone calls or whatever, and we support them um, in the best way we can. Gotcha. So speaking of travel, um, how has COVID-19 impacted your work? <laughs> We are all working from home, uh, the entire company. 
since two days, three days, there is a lockdown again in the Netherlands. So, uh, but but we have been working from home since March. 2020 on and off i think we went back for maybe two or three months maximum but for the rest we are working from home and so there is no possibility to visit those customers and what we have tried to do is come up with like digital platforms on training where maybe one or two colleagues went into the office stand in front of an instrument and then with video shooting live video um, show the customer what to do when to do how to do and then give them also like a training, but more a digital base so the customer can follow it online, then has to answer a couple of questions before they are entitled to be rolled in into these live sessions with, with colleagues from, uh, from us uh, to show how the instrument works or some nitty gritty details that we want to show. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. What we have seen up here is at least that there were several articles published on a decreasing demand of diagnostic research during the waves of corona. I personally did a trending on what the throughput was in laboratories, and we saw a decline across Europe. Maybe not that much for what we call university hospitals, uh, but definitely all those smaller smaller laboratories, they had a big decrease and some laboratories even divided their staff into two shifts in order to vo avoid cross-contamination, but making sure that the laboratory could always remain functional when there was like somebody or two people infected in a group, then they could completely quarantine that group and then remain functional with the other uh, group that they have. So those are really things that we have seen during the COVID-19. So yeah, that, that was, that is really a big impact in, in, across Europe. And I, for sure, it has been uh, the same in the US, but yeah, that was amazing that, that people had to do all these kind of things. Yeah, we've had kind of similar situation. At one point, we had some people who were furloughed and they weren't doing elective surgeries. So some of the histotechs were out of work. And then when they went back, they were kind of grouping them, like you said. Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. So what is the biggest challenge that you see for histology in the future? What I see and, and what we at least mention, want to mention is that there is a big knowledge decline of histotechnologists um, in general. Uh, we see aging histotechnologists, how to create. So the, the, the people become older. We call that vergrijzen in Dutch. Uh, people get gray hairs and... There is a lack of interest of young students to, to choose for the profession as well. So those are really um, some challenges, I, we think. And then there is a rise of additive techniques uh, like molecular, next-gen sequencing, etc. cetera. Uh, but for all these challenges, I think you need like standardized protocols. And uh, at Sakura Fintech Europe, we stand for standardizing the protocols uh, as much as possible. So there is a sort of a histotechnologist in Europe as well, because I know that's a huge challenge in America, just the lack of programs and the lack of up and coming histotechs to replace the ones that are retiring. Yeah, the, the, like like when I went to school, we're like across the Netherlands, which is small. It, it's 300 kilometer in length and 250 wide. So that's nothing compared for for your country. We had 15 schools. Nowadays, there are only two left. And on top of that, it used to be a dedicated laboratory education, but now there is connected to this one is also an IT program set up. Yeah, and you know, young people, they like computers. So they come into this, into this education, they get a little bit of chemistry and then they go, let me choose IT please. So we lose a lot of people. 
in, into our field. And this is going to be a challenge within the next five to 10 years for sure. Yeah. Um, and then just to end on a positive note, any opportunities for histology and what's on the cutting edge right now that you're excited about? Well, at least what is interesting for us uh, to see all those additive techniques can be uh, a real opportunity for the histotex by offering, or at least that, that what we see in Europe is that people move to automation. So you have more kind of operators in the laboratory. And by the way, that happened like decades ago in blood analysis and microbiology labs. They were manual labs and they became fully automated. Histopathology is maybe a little bit behind it, but we are going in that direction. So that will free up the people um, from the lab. And I think they, those can be put up into like the additional techniques, uh, next-gen sequencing, molecular techniques, finding the cure for cancer um, is, is always something that we all want to aim for. So yeah, those are really the, the things that I think we are going towards. What we launched in Europe recently is uh, what we call Smart Connect. And it's the automated connection between an Express X120 and an Autotech A120, the automated and better. So there is no technician needed anymore. You fill up that Smart Connect and he will do the processing and embedding for you. So only once it's completely finished, then you need to take off your blocks, which I th we think is also the next step in automation. Wow. That's crazy. So that that's all the questions that I had for you. Do you have anything additional that you'd like to add? I'm really proud that you have a, a big NSH, National Society for Histotechnology. It's a large group. Uh, I really enjoy going there. My first exposure to the group was in 2010. Uh, when I was invited to speak at the NSH convention for a group of Sakura customers. And after that convention, I always remained a member and I was able to visit the convention a couple of times. In the Netherlands, we have a kind of similar, but, but way smaller group. It was called the VAP, the Vereniging Analysten Pathology, but it's merged together with the Dutch Union for Pathologists. Um, so now it's, it's one group called the NVVP. And they pro are providing the uh, resources for histopathology um, in, in, in general. But as said, Netherlands is very small, 70 million citizens. Reaching out to your, to your colleagues is very common and accepted as well. So, yeah, I'm really, really proud that you invited me for, uh, for, this, uh, for this podcast. Um, and that the NSH is also looking for their uh, international members. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we work a lot with Sakura and we're very happy to have you here. Thank you.